How y'all doing tonight, C12? Yeah. I missed y'all. Thank you, one person. I appreciate that. Awesome. So um, apparently I can just bring Jeremy back and never come here again because y'all don't care. Just kidding. Jeremy was awesome last week, though, wasn't he? Are you screaming because you liked his beard and thought he was attractive or because he actually said something profound? Good answer from the men in the room. Okay. Uh, well, listen, I am glad to be back. I was gone last week. I missed you guys. I thought about y'all the entire time I was gone. That's not true. I was enjoying a vacation, but I did miss you. I promise you that. And I am glad to be back. Now, I heard though that Jeremy did awesome. Y'all enjoyed Jeremy last week? Yes, Jeremy, he is over all of the creative arts here at the church. He's one of my friends. He's an incredible guy who has a lot to say, a lot of wisdom to speak about worship, which is what we're talking about. Did y'all enjoy the worship last week? It was a little bit different. Yes? Two of you did. Okay. So how about tonight? Did y'all enjoy Kendrick in the worship tonight? There. You can, I mean, Ken, he's, Kendrick is the jam. So I enjoy that. And what we're going to talk about is something I'm going to enjoy as well, because we are in the middle of a series on worship. Now, we started this entire thing in week one by talking about what is worship. So I put a chair out in the middle of the room if you were here, and we talked about your throne. That whatever you give the most attention, the most affection, and the most adoration to in your life, you put on that throne. And whatever's on that throne is what you worship. And that is what worship is, lifting up in something in reverence. And if anything is on that throne in your life besides Jesus, it's sin. It's idolatry. And so we have to right-size what's on our throne in our life. And then last week, Jeremy talked about why we worship. So we went through what is worship last week, why we worship. And he talked about the freedom that comes in your life whenever you put God at the center and everything flows out through him. And so tonight, we're going to continue talking about worship in a different vein. Tonight, we're going to talk about when we worship. Now, a lot of times, people would think that the only time that we worship is whenever we're at church. Maybe you came in here tonight and you thought the exact same thing. I'm going to go to church tonight so I can worship. Or maybe we feel like we can only worship when we're in a gathering of a bunch of people. But what we've talked about over the last two weeks is that that's not true. We know that worship is much more of a, of a lifestyle. It's much more of your heart than it is your song or the voice. It's a, it's a lifestyle that you lead. It's a matter of the heart when we talk about worship. So when we say when we worship, we're not talking about location like when the places we go that we worship, what we're talking about is season. The seasons of life in which we worship and how they find us in different places. So what do you do when the seasons of life shift? Maybe you came in here and you know, you're like, you know what? Life is awesome. For me, I would say that. I just went to Austin, Texas for six days without my kids doing nothing but hanging with my wife in a pool at a spa. Like, can we just call it what it is? Um, I win. That's what that is. But some of you may come in here tonight and you're like, you know what? <laughs> I didn't have a spa or an infinity pool or I don't have a wife. Um, life, is, life is not as good as it, for you or for me as it is for you. But see, we all come in different seasons. We all come here in different places. And what we're going to focus on tonight is the fact that regardless of your season, we are called to worship God regardless of where you find yourself. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the maturity that comes in worship and saying, whether it's good or bad, I can worship him. And so the question for you that I would begin with is when in life do we worship? Now, when I was in Austin, it was incredible. It was wonderful. Have any of you ever been to Austin, Texas? Tejas? Yes? Okay. Well, if not, you need to go. And those that raise their hand can just attest to this. It was incredible. 
And I was away. I didn't check email. It was awesome and crazy and it was wonderful. But while I was there, something was happening in the world that had my attention that I was, a pay, that I was paying attention to. Can anyone guess what I was paying attention to the last week while I was gone? What happened in the world? The NBA Finals. I see Jeremy in the back saying, Warriors. You got your hat on? You got, okay, good. Now, the NBA Finals happened. Anybody watch the NBA Finals? Anybody? Who did not watch the NBA Finals? All right, let me educate you on something, okay? The NBA Finals, basketball, it's the, fine, it's, the, it's, the, it's the series to see who wins the crown. And on Tuesday, it actually ended. And the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry at the helm, defeated... The Cleveland, I don't like, we're not in Golden State. This isn't the Bay Area. I don't know why we're clapping. You should be Hawks fans because this is Atlanta. But, but, well, we went against LeBron. And see, LeBron's team, the LeBrons, um, (laughs) they played against the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. And so it was Steph Curry against LeBron. It was the Warriors against the Cavs. And on Tuesday night, the Golden State Warriors in Game 6 defeated the Cavs to win the NBA championship. And they were led by a guy named Steph Curry. How many of you know who Steph Curry is? How many of you have no idea who Steph Curry is? Raise your hand. Just be honest. It's okay. Okay. You're about to see who Steph Curry is in just a second. Steph Curry is the MVP of the NBA. He is my height, not much bigger than me, probably weighs a little bit less than me, and he's the greatest shooter in the history of the NBA ever. And he won the MVP this year. And here's what happened. Steph Curry beat LeBron in the NBA finals. And about three weeks ago, he beat LeBron in something else, winning the MVP. And at his awards ceremony, he said something profound that we're actually going to learn from. So I want y'all to take a look at the first 35 seconds of Steph Curry's acceptance speech. Um, This is a Tremendous honor. Um, you know, first and foremost, I have to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for blessing me with the talents to play this game, with the family uh, to support me day in, day out. Um, I'm his humble servant right now, and um, I, I, it is, I can't say it enough how important you know, my faith is to, to how, how I play the game and who I am. So, um, I'm just, I'm just blessed, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for, for where I am. Um. So in his speech, what did he do? What's the first thing he did? He thanked God. Now here's the deal. As he thanked the Lord for winning his speech, Jesus, what he did is he said, listen, this is my greatest triumph. I just won the MVP. This is the greatest single personal individual triumph that you can have as a basketball player. And the first thing he did was praise God for it. He worshiped him. He gave him all the thanks in realizing that the blessing that he can do this comes from God. But we see a lot of people do that. A lot of people all the time are, first off, I just want to thank God. First off, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then you watch and you're like, you know Jesus? Interesting. That's, what Jesus do you know? Because I don't see you living that. See, when you look at Steph Curry's story, you actually see this is real. And some of y'all had some giggles when he paused in his message. When I look at that and I know his story, I see the reason why he's pausing is because there's a genuineness to him saying, I thank you, God, for giving me everything that I have. Andre Iguodala is one of his teammates who won the, the finals MVP. 
He was the MVP of the NBA Finals. And when they interviewed Andre Iguodala when he won, they actually said, how does it feel to be the first person to ever not start a game in the NBA Finals and yet win the Finals MVP? And the first thing he said was, man, we got a great group of guys that love God and follow God. We have chapel together. We go after it together. And this, he's saying this on ESPN. He just won the NBA Finals 15 minutes ago. And he says, man, Steph Curry leading us, I want to be like him when I grow up. He's seven years older than Steph Curry, okay? <laughs> and yet something about Steph Curry's faith allows him in his triumphs to say, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give you everything I have. So in your triumphs, would you do the exact same thing that Steph Curry did? Would you really do that? Would you acknowledge that God has given you everything that you have? You are stewarding all the talents he's given you. You're utilizing the blessing he's giving you. And then you'd worship him through that for everyone, the entire world to see. Would you do the same thing? See, I'd be willing to say that most of you would probably say yes. Because it's easy to thank God when we get what we want. Steph Curry wanted to win the MVP. That's what every player wants to do. He got what he wanted. Of course it's easy to do that. But what about when you don't get what you want? Can you thank God and worship him then? Because when we talk about when we worship, we don't just worship in our triumphs. We also worship in our tragedy. We also worship in our trials. So while it may be easy to worship him when everything's going our way, what about when it doesn't go your way? What do you do? And there's a guy in the Bible that's going to teach us exactly how we do that. So his name is Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is going to teach us from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. So if you want to turn, there's a Bible underneath your chair to Lamentations 3. It's page 822. If you want to follow along in the Bible under your chair, if you have your own on your phone, that's awesome. Pull that out. If you brought your own tonight, that's great. Lamentations, chapter 3, page 822, if you're following along in this Bible. And let me give a little setup while you turn there. See, Lamentations 3 is written by Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet. Now, if we can just pause there for a second, that's like the worst possible thing you could be known for. Like, no, you're not Samson. You're not the strongest guy that ever lived. You're not David, the man that had a heart after God's own heart. You're not Paul, the man who completely, essentially made the church happen in, in, back then. You're not Peter, the one that Jesus said on you, I'm going to build this rock. You're not... James, the one that he loved. No, you're the weeping prophet. You're the dude that cries a lot. Like, that's a great legacy to leave. The only person worse is James the Lesser. Like, well, who's, the, like, I gotta be known as the Lesser? Okay. See, Jeremiah didn't necessarily have a great legacy, but it was true about him. In Matthew, it actually says that Jeremiah did weep a lot. He cried a lot. And the reason why we see he cried is because his heart was broken. And what we see in Lamentations is why. So in Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah starts to talk about the situation of Israel, the situation of his people. He's a prophet for Israel. And in Lamentations 3, he begins to describe the situation that they're in and lament or cry to God about that situation. So that's the context for when we dive in now to Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Y'all follow along. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. So he's setting this up to be real lighthearted, okay? I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. God did this, is what he's saying. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. 
Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel and has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my, afflic my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well and my soul is downcast within me. Wow. Who's depressed in the room? Can we just... In other words, he said, God, you've American history X'd me. You basically put my face on the curb and stomped on my head. You've killed me. You've broken my bones. You've done everything possible to ruin my life. I don't have any triumphs. There aren't any Steph Curry moments here. It's all tragedy. Everything's gone wrong. Nothing's gone right. Israel was captured they were desolate. They were far from God and the promise that God had for them. There were no triumphs. It was all trials. It was all tragedy. But I want you to see what Jeremiah says next as a response to that circumstance. His circumstances would be terrible. And yet here's his response. In verse 21, they're going to put it on the screen. You follow along with me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Now, go, I'm going to go back to 19. I'm going to read that, and then you follow along when we get to 21. I remember my affliction. Keep it up there. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. This is a guy that just said, God, you've basically ruined my life. Yet, hang on, your compassions never fail. And I think if Jeremiah is teaching us one thing through Lamentations 3, 1 through 22, it's this. Our circumstances don't affect God's goodness. God's goodness affects our circumstances. Our circumstances don't affect God's goodness. God's goodness affects our circumstances. Jeremiah is telling us to change the lens in which we view our life. And I wanted you to write it out really long on your bulletin so that you remember it. If you just write one word, it's not as, you're not going to remember it as much as if you write the whole thing. Our circumstances don't affect God's goodness. They can't change. God's goodness affects our circumstances. When it's really bad for you, it doesn't mean that God is bad. 
When nothing's going right for you, it doesn't mean that God's not doing right. And when you feel like all the love that you could possibly have in your world, all the comfort you could possibly have is gone, it doesn't mean that God is gone. Our circumstances don't affect God's goodness. God's goodness affects our circumstances. And see, maybe you feel like right now you're in the worst possible situation in life. Maybe you came in here and you're experiencing a lot of tragedy. Maybe you came here tonight depressed. Maybe there's been a death in the family. Maybe you didn't get the thing that you wanted. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. Maybe the season that you walked in here carrying with you is as dark as it's ever been. And what I would tell you is those circumstances don't change anything about God. You have to start viewing your circumstances through the lens of God's goodness. He's still good even when it feels bad. Jeremiah would tell you that you can join in in worship. See, what happens is whenever that depression hits, we walk in here and we're like, I can't sing. I'm in the winter season of my soul. We've talked about that before. It's just not easy. I don't know how, like, I don't want to read. I don't want to go through anything. I just can't. I'm putting on a happy mask, but I don't really want to be here. And we feel like in those moments we can't worship. And Jeremiah would say, you can and you should worship. Even in the midst of that, because God is good. And your life doesn't affect his goodness in any way. You can depend upon him. You can lean upon him. And so we worship in triumphs and in tragedy. We worship in sun and in storms. No matter how dark or how terrible the storms get. We worship in joy and in pain. We worship in life and in death. You worship in good and in bad. And see, this is a lesson that I was taught recently. Um, A lot of times we can feel like, I guess that's a good word to use, we can respond and worship through our feelings. Like what I just said in that whole like scenario is we come in here and things are bad and we feel depressed and I just don't really feel like I can worship. I don't really feel like worshiping. And what we have to understand is that worship is not an emotional feeling. It is a choice. You choose to worship. Jeremiah had everything wrong happen, yet he chose to bring to mind and remember God's goodness. Because of his goodness, his love will never fail us. Because of his compassion, he will never fail us. He will never let us go, and he will never let you down. You choose to worship. It's not an emotional feeling. So growing in maturity, which is my prayer for all of us here, that you would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and men, just like Jesus did. That's Luke 2.52. Growing up in maturity tells you it's no longer about an emotional feeling. It's a choice. I choose to worship. And I was taught this from a friend of mine. A good friend of mine recently had to choose to worship. He and his family were out on a, an excursion, a family getaway. And they went, I'm trying to be careful in the details. They went somewhere together and there was a terrible accident that happened on the trip. And his father passed away on the trip. And it was especially bad for him because he watched the whole accident happen. And he watched his father die. And so that night, the whole family got back to their house and I went over to their house just to be with him. Just to let him know that I care, pray with him, just be there. And when I got there, he was a wreck. 
as he should have been. His father, his best friend just died. Totally in a tragic accident. And he was a wreck and he was distraught and he was torn up. And yet I heard him say, but I know God's still good. I just hope he gets glory through this. His best friend just died. His dad just died. And a few hours later, he sat there and told me, I just hope God gets glory through this. See, my friend chose to worship. He chose to say, God, you've given me everything and I can trust you because you're good. My circumstances don't affect your goodness. Your goodness affects all of my circumstances. And my friend was 14 years old. He's half my age. And he chose to worship God. He has a maturity about his faith that all of us can learn from. Because while I may be 29 and he may be 14, in that moment he taught me our circumstances don't affect God's goodness. God's goodness affects our circumstances. And we can trust him, even in the midst of tragedy. Even in the midst of the worst tragedy that he will ever face, as a 14-year-old, he had to sit there and go through that and watch that happen and try to be strong for his mom while his mom just lost her best friend, her husband. And then her mom sits there and grabs him by the face and it's in my head. She sat there and said, you don't have to take care of me right now. God's going to. It's okay. You can hurt. You can feel. You can cry. That family's faith never wavered in the face of tragedy because they realized that God is still good regardless of what happens. And so we worship him, both in triumph and in tragedy. And here's how Jeremiah responds to the tragedy. Here's how he carries on and continues that message that my friend would teach us. In Lamentations chapter 3, going back to verse, uh, to verse 21, he says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You're always there. You never, you've never not come through. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke, this realization, while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. In verse 31, For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will surely show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. And so as we worship God because he's good, just like Jeremiah said, if he brings grief, he will surely bring compassion. And because our circumstances don't change his goodness, you worship God when you win the MVP like Steph Curry, and then you also worship God when you lose your best friend like my friend did. And it's a choice that you get to make. And here's how you do it. You look to Jesus. You look right at him and you focus on him instead of on your circumstances. If all you ever think about and all you ever focus on is what's happening in your world, all the chaos and calamity and tragedy, if that's where your eyes go, then that's all you're going to think about. And all you're going to see is the bad. 
or your perception of the bad. But when you look to Jesus, you see that he's good. And then it becomes a filter. It becomes a lens that you can view everything else through. Nothing happens outside of his hands. It's not like the worst possible thing could happen to you and it occurs out here and God says, oh man, um, I did not see that coming. Hmm. It's never happened. He's never been taken by surprise. And because it all happens inside of his hands, we can realize he's always there. It's never outside of his reach. He's working everything around for our good and for his greater glory. You can trust him, and so you can worship him, both in triumph and in tragedy. He's good, he hasn't left, and he never will. And Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, it's a devotional, it's a daily devotional. In today's entry, like I couldn't have written this, and <laughs> God's sovereignty wrote this. In today's entry, June 18th, in that book, My Utmost for His Highest, Listen to what he writes about Jesus. If you are truly recognizing your Lord, you have no business being concerned about how and where he engineers your circumstances. The things surrounding you are real, but when you look at them, you are immediately overwhelmed and even unable to recognize Jesus. Let your actual circumstances be what they may. You can't change them. But keep recognizing Jesus, maintaining complete reliance upon him. I couldn't have written that any better. And so you stop looking at your circumstances and you start looking at Jesus. And maybe tonight you came in this place and you're thinking, I just wish my circumstances would change. And really what needs to change is your heart. You need to stop looking at it through the lens of my circumstances, decide everything about the world and everything about me and everything about my future and everything about God. Because our circumstances don't affect his goodness. God's goodness affects our circumstances. That's the lens with which we view everything. And when you do that, it enables you to worship him regardless of season, regardless of situation, regardless of circumstance. And it grows you up in maturity. You are between 18 and 25 years old, most of you in this room. And none of you would say that you want to continue to act next year of this life how you did right now. No one wants to stay where they are. No one would ever say when they're 14 years old, like my friend, you know, I think I want to stay 14 forever. We want to grow up. And physically, you will grow up. But you have to choose to grow up spiritually. I know it's been tough. I know it hurts so bad. When he left, I know it was terrible when they died. I know it was awful when it didn't work out. But none of those things change the fact that God is good, that he is for you, that you can trust him, that he loves you. You can never make God love you any less. And you can never make him love you anymore. Because if he could grow in love, he wouldn't be perfect, and he's perfect. His love for you is fixed. And it's in heaven and nothing on this earth can change it. Your circumstances don't affect his goodness. His goodness affects all your circumstances. And so tonight, maybe instead of your circumstances changing, you need to change your heart. and Start realizing that he's good and that he's for you and that he loves you and you can worship him. You can lift him up in reverence because he's given you all that you need. 
both in triumph and in tragedy. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this truth. It is, uh, God, it's not easy to live this out. It's easy to live out what Steph Curry did. It's easy to live out whenever we win everything, whenever we're the MVP and we get what we want. But God, it's not easy to live out when tragedy strikes and when your father or your best friend or your brother or sister or your child dies. It's not easy to worship you when you lose everything or when you're terrified half to death or when your wife has a miscarriage and you think she's going to die. Yet you call us to something greater than our circumstances. You call us to a love and to a faith that is free from those boundaries, that is free from what the world would say. You call us into a freedom through your Holy Spirit and through Jesus that allows us to worship you regardless of season. So Father, I pray tonight that you would free people up to worship you, that you would free people up in this place to come to your feet and to lay everything that they have down at your throne and by doing that, putting you on the throne, saying, Jesus, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this, It hurts so bad. It's suffocating me. I can't breathe. It's a weight that I want gone. But God, I pray tonight that hearts would change in this room and that we would move from people who live out a life that says, I have to do what I feel. And we would grow up into people who do what we would choose. God, I pray that that choice would be to worship you with all that we have because we have nothing without you. God, if I lost everything and only had you, I'd be okay because you are my portion, just like Jeremiah says. So may we remember the goodness, the unfailing nature of your love, how your compassions are always around us and how you are fundamentally kind. We can lean into that. We can trust that. And as a result of that, God, we can worship you. We can revere you. We can lift you up and we can make your name famous in this place. So God, have your way among us. In the name of Jesus, would you sweep through this room, eradicate our fear, and grow us up in wisdom and stature and in favor with both you and with men, just as you did your son. Because we are all your sons and daughters. Every one of us in this place, whether we know it or not, I just want us to grow up. I just want us to love you. I just want us to be at your feet and worship you because you've given us all that we ever need. So may we do that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray.